Hey y'all, it's Kelsey. It is full on spring out in case you haven't noticed. The last couple weeks I've been recharging my body and soul in the sun, finding pleasure in watching things grow in the garden and leaning into the power of rest. Today's episode of Cool Queers Doing Cool Shit is especially relevant to the season. Spring is a season of growth, of renewal, of blooming, and today we have the pleasure of learning from someone who is an expert in all of these areas and in the labor that's required to tend to all of these areas. DJ Needleman is a non-binary genderqueer admirer of the earth. This deep love for nature has taken them from beaver conservation work to urban orcharding and from farming to gardening. They currently co-organize the Cooperative Gardens Commission or the CGC seed distribution effort based in Philadelphia. Since the start of COVID, they have been organizing with CGC to get seeds and growing resources into the hands of folks across the country to grow food for their community. DJ is currently studying horticulture and hopes to start a green burial and grief counseling community in the future. They love interpreting bird calls, having sky time, sitting under trees, and taking every opportunity to tell their friends how much they love them. You'll hear that this conversation made me laugh a lot. This laugh was, of course, from delight and joy, but also from surprise. DJ's wisdom about what we have to learn and glean from plant life helped me recenter my perspectives on so many human-related challenges I've been navigating lately, and I hope that they can do that for you too. So let's dig in. Hi, DJ. Hey. Thanks so much for joining Cool Queers Doing Cool Shit today. I'd love to hear where you're joining us for this episode. I am calling in from Philadelphia, which is Lenape land. I moved here about a year and a half ago. Ooh, how's your time there been? Oh, it's been great. I love Philly. I was dreaming about moving here for many years and finally enough things fell into place that I made my way here and yeah people show up for each other here in a way I'm not really used to being from the west coast and that's a really beautiful thing and it's very different from what I'm used to but different in a way that feels almost like more familiar from what I grew up around so that's been great I've been really I deeply empathize with that so we both grew up in San Diego we, our lives collided in that place. We went to the same high school. I was friends with your sibling and I, um, and when I moved to the Midwest and now living in Kansas city, I also was kind of taken aback from the very same reason of like, damn, people who are really proud of where they're from and are actually grown in a way where they're learning to rely on each other in community space uh it just hits different I don't know like I I feel like I've been able to be given the tools and resources and motivation to be in connection and in community with folks here more than I ever realized was possible in San Diego and I'm really glad that you've found that where you are too yeah absolutely I feel like the more community that I find myself in the more the lack of community in San Diego becomes more apparent not that there's not community in San Diego but it's not the same level of people helping each other out or seeing each other as like full encompassed beings it's more just like oh that's another person have a good one that's so it (laughs) that's spot on (laughs) 
yeah, it's very Truman Show there for sure. <laughs> well, I'm glad we both made it out of the Truman Show. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to start us off with a question that every episode starts with, and it's about the activation of queerness, because I truly believe that queer is not just an adjective or a noun. I think queer is also a verb. So I'd love to hear what are you queering in your life right now? Such a good question. I've been really trying to work on queering my relationship to plants and the things growing around me. Um, I work as a gardener right now and have been doing farming and orcharding and seed stuff for a while. And with each new iteration of things that I learn, I always have a few moments of like, mm, and you're referring to that plant part is the male part. So let's hold on and back it up a little bit and think about different language we can use or, you know, that's like a more obvious one, but working as a gardener and like upkeeping certain beauty standards of what people expect for their outdoor spaces leads me to want to queer what our perception of what is beautiful or not in terms of plants mm. and not just <clears throat> the kinds of like Truman Show <laughs> ideations that I was raised around. Um, yeah, and there's certain things that come up a lot of you know like what are we doing this to this plant because it needs it and it's for its health or is it because there's a certain expectation or projection that we're putting onto it and then if it falls outside of that is that like what is that working against that then we need to re-tame it or whatever so i've been trying to think about okay if i didn't touch this plant what would happen to it? Do I need to be touching it? Am I doing it because it's an aesthetic choice or a, you know, we're forcing something onto somebody else? I also love to refer to plants as like, who is that? Or instead of what is that? I feel like that, that's been something I've been doing for years. And there's certain times I'll like look up at a tree and be like, huh, I don't know who that is. And then the person <laughs> I'm with is like, who? Like no one's walking by and I'm like, oh, it's, the tree I'm I'm talking about the tree okay got it I see why that was confusing <laughs> you just said so many important things that I've never really connected and my mind is kind of blowing right now in terms of the way that the 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 constructs of the gender binary have extended themselves to everything that we do and think about including the way that we you just mentioned and gave examples of like talk about plants the words we use to talk about plant parts is very gendered mm -hmm. and like stuck within a binary unnecessarily so um and yeah. then also the way that these constructs and like these ideas of beauty have even extended to plant life and i know that we're all quite used to talking about like western and white ideologies and the way that they've shaped the way we've thought about human beauty but you're making such great points that that's extended to the way we've even thought about just beauty in general and this notion of tameness versus wild and like what's right and what's wrong there. So that's yeah. all such beautiful places to start. I really appreciate you grounding us there and like helping us remember and realize that there's something other there. There's a bigger possible there. There's someone, there's someone, there's a who that's there. And um, so thank you for starting us and grounding us there. You yeah 
are, you said that you're a gardener, but you also currently co-organize the Cooperative Gardens Commission seed distribution effort that's based where you are in Philly. And I'd love to learn so much more about what this work looks like and the community work that you're doing, but I'd love to start by just laying some groundwork for listeners who this might be a new concept for. What is seed distribution? Seed distribution is basically a way of trying to get resources into the hands of people so then they can grow their own food. Um, our food waste system is as robust as our food system. They're almost one and the same. And there's been a lot of creative ways that I've seen of, you know, gleaners that can come and forage for fruit from an orchard that's, you know, not being tended to anymore or selling produce that's a little uglier or what we're doing, which is seed distribution, where we basically are taking seeds that are either like one year past the legal limit of being able to be sold or they didn't meet some standard of like germination rate mm. germination rate is basically if you plant a hundred seeds what percentage of them actually then grow okay and so a lot of the seed companies that we get seeds from it their standard is like 95 percent. so if something germinates at 92 percent, they can't sell it but there's nothing wrong with that and then there's like 10 pounds of broccoli seeds um anyway so a few different, I mean, not a few, because we distribute across the whole country, there's a lot of people that do seed giving out in their communities. Um, and we kind of work as this bridge, I guess, I don't know, a narrow space that then becomes a wider space, <laughs> <laughs> um, where we, we take the seeds from the seed companies and then spend a lot of time repackaging them and regrouping them and sending and like creating these kind of personalized seed boxes. And then we send them out to the, the seed hubs um, and then they distribute to their communities. So a lot of the time, local organizations are doing this already. A lot of libraries have a like free seed library. Um, there's a lot of urban farms that also do seed gives out, give seed give outs. And we are basically just providing more seeds for that effort. Um, something that the Cooperative Gardens Commission did more in the past. So we started at the start of the pandemic and um, Nate Kleiman, who started the Experimental Farm Network, he posted and was like, all right, there's going to be food shortages. So if you want to help organize around what that's going to look like and how we can rally, come to this meeting. So at the beginning, and I, I joined one of the first calls, like literally during lockdown, and for, for the first six months to a year, there was hundreds of people joining these calls all across the U.S., and we did a lot of like on the ground kind of radical organizing of how can we both get resources out to people, but also the information, because just because you receive seeds then doesn't mean that you know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. and aside from the knowledge of what to do to make a seed become a plant that then becomes food. Um, there's a lot of policy and logistical limitations that our society puts in the way that makes it so that you can't grow your own food. So there was also a whole policy initiative of policies that can be passed so that more people can have the ability to have relationships with plants that then turn into food. 
Um, so it's taken a lot of different forms. And in the beginning, there was many different iterations of what we were doing, including we also worked on a reparations roadmap about how to center a lot of this work around reparations. Um, and the thing that's been consistent since then is this seed distribution effort where, like I said, we take seeds from seed companies. Each year it's been different. And that's, I'll get into this more later, but the number of seeds that we get, the number of seed hubs that apply, when we do it, how, like, just everything has been a DIY situation each year. Um, and I've been organizing for the last two years. And the two years before that, I was doing a lot of virtual work. But then I moved to Philadelphia and then started doing the like in-person organizing after I was actually physically here and not just on Zoomland. How fucking cool. I, I, there's so many um, systems that you're disrupting here. And the, the main one that I want to focus on is, is capitalism, right? Because capitalism tells us that we have to rely on big business to survive. And it's a lie that we're told. And actually we're able to take care of ourselves if we have the right resources, information, ways to communicate with each other, ways to show up with each other. And mm -hmm. you just mentioned that there was this like policy barrier in place this is one very tangible and pertinent example, right? Of like, there was this policy barrier in place where politicians were trying to make it hard for people to legally grow their own food. And how fucking goofy is that? That this is something that we have to get permission from the government to plant seeds in our yards and show up for ourselves during a fucking global pandemic, which was making <laughs> us look at the way that all of our systems were failing us. So, um, right since our access to food is so very much shaped by capitalism and people in power telling us who and from where we can buy our food, can you reflect a little bit on how seed distribution as an act disrupts systemic forces like capitalism that are all playing into food insecurity and inequitable access to food? Oh, such a casual and non-nuanced question. <laughs> I'm like, where do I even start with that? Um, yeah, it's so entrenched in, in so many ways. And I'm going to start at one point and then go to the other points. And it's in no order of importance. It's more just what is happening. In a zoomed out perspective, before there were stores to be buying food from other people, there was an inherent you do it yourself and with your community kind of relationship to food. Mm -hmm. And as there's been such this wave of hyper individualism and colonial mindsets about what it means to be in control, I feel like that has really percolated into everything that <laughs> relates to both how we relate to land, like that's its own whole thing and the privatization mm. of land and that in order to even be able to grow anything for yourself, then you have to have certain rights to the land. And that whole constructed view of what is wild versus not wild, what needs to be tended to versus what can just be for beauty. You know, there's a lot of forced ideas onto just like literally soil and what it holds. And there's also a really rich history behind specific and targeted ways of taking seeds away from people but as a way of taking culture away from them 
there's a really great podcast that True Love Seeds does, and I think it's called Seeds for the People. And of course, I don't remember the exact name of it right now, but oops, check we'll that. look it up after. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of seeds that were brought over by people as they came to the United States, as they were forced to come to the United States as a way of having like nuggets of connection to a world that was known before. And that feels really important that also there's so much colonialization in how, in in what we even think of as certain seeds from certain places. Like for example, we think of, you know, we think of tomatoes as being an, an Italian food. And really the, the plant of tomatoes like comes from Central and South America. So then as the Europeans were colonizing the Americas, I say this all with like lower case, you know, <laughs> I'm not, I am not giving the, lower the case America. Lower yeah, exactly. Um, that then they took that, they took tomatoes over to Italy. And then now we see that as, okay, this is, this is an Italian food when really it's not. And so if you zoom out, like each plant that we interact with has even more of a lush history than that. Um, but that, that having relationships with the process of growing a whole plant and then from seed to from seed to seed, really, because getting a plant to even get to the place that it can produce seeds is pretty hard. Like seed mm. farming is really difficult because it's not just growing a plant for the parts of it that we're then taking from it, but it has to do its entire life cycle and not have anything disrupted in that process. Mm. And so I think that in and of itself, that we don't let most plants go to seed or even decay. And that's a big thing that I deal with a lot in my job, that if something looks like it's dying or wilting or a little sad, they're like, take it out, cut it out, remove it. But in order to get something to go to seed, it has to then fully get to the point that then it's going to reproduce again and then seed in and it looks decaying because Mm -hmm. it is. And that also feels like a very capitalistic perspective that we should only be focusing on what grows and what is like exponentially up and flashy and flowering and then once it's out of that phase that's like enticing to us then it's no longer valuable so I feel like viewing seeds as the thing that is valuable you have to embrace decay you have to embrace the full cycle and that in and of itself feels like and act against colonization and capitalism. Um, no, that's like- so true. I mean, like the American dream that we're told, we're like told to obsess with our production, right? Like we right. are born, we go to school, we learn a trade, we go and like we make fucking things in a factory for our whole life to for other people to consume. We make a product, we are judged and graded on and our value is based on how much we make and that's all inevitably based on purchase and consumption and therefore nothing is ever allowed to live its whole life cycle and it is so 
like intimately tied to this story of seed and the fact that every seed has its own story of cultural appropriation and colonization and being stolen and redefined by people who weren't a part of its origin story to begin with. And the fact that those very people are the same ones disrupting and trying to like redefine what this plant's life cycle is supposed to look like um, feels relevant. <laughs> um, oh, definitely. Yeah. And there's a whole part of it as well that that like the hybridization of seeds and most major seed companies, they grow their plants so that if, if you grow seed from the seed that they give you, you can't grow it again. They mm. basically breed it to be infertile. And that also is something that a lot of more organic and open pollinated seed companies are fighting against by saying like, okay, you can then grow this crop after. So if you want to save seed from it, please actually do that. Um, but most big corporations keep farmers bound to them by genetic manipulation which also is capitalism so then it's like strategically and intentionally keeping them tied to needing to be buying it every single year and so this the seed distribution effort of saying you know maybe you'll get an 80 percent germination from this versus 95 it's not going to be this like really strict view of you know i i can project what i want from this plant and it's going to do exactly that every time there's some adjusting because all of the seeds we're getting are just are donated, but it feels inherently against that kind of system of like you you buy a hundred seeds from us, you will get one hundred plants. Then the next year you will buy a hundred seeds from us and you will get one hundred plants. That it's like it is much messier than that. <laughs> There's sometimes you do it, none of them come up. There's sometimes you have the best intentions and all the right conditions and half of them come up, you know, it's like, it's just this really nuanced situation. And so both the like systematic policies that are in place so that people can't grow their own food are very much there. And also the more zoomed out perspective of like, just because you receive the gift of a seed, then doesn't mean that then you have food. Like there is so much care and intentionality and attentiveness and community gathering and all these things that have to happen to actually make the seed grow into anything. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that also feels pretty anti-capitalist that the thing that you have to do is not just like pay the most money for it and buy the best one or whatever, <laughs> but it's, it's like, are you checking on it every day? Are you singing to it in the morning? Are you making sure that it's not getting shat on by whatever I don't know <laughs> yeah I um I love that you've focused on the care element right there's so many hands and stories and labor and time and families and heartbreaks and loves that go into trying to bring a, a plant through its full life cycle, like you're saying, and bringing it to seed and then starting that again and trying to bring it to a place of where it can nourish us and feed us. And I'd love to just hear you share a little bit more about, so you are a queer person. I don't think that's a surprise because you're here on <laughs> Cool Queers doing cool shit. <laughs> um, but I'd love to hear about how your identities of queerness 
shape how you approach this very, in and of itself, inherently queer work of bringing a plant through its whole life cycle, bringing it to seed, and then getting people these seeds? Oh, identity questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can start with, I identify as non-binary. I use they, them pronouns. I also kind of identify with gender queer. I'm not sure. A lot of the words I'm like, what's really the difference? I don't know. Um, I know there is a difference, but for myself, <laughs> I mean, um, I'll get to the seed portion of it more in a bit, but I, my brain really works in metaphors and I can spin my wheels around something about how I feel about it, what happened, what I think for so long. And then like putting it onto the experience of something that I can vis visually see. So something that is helpful for me a lot is like the, the visual of a tree and that it, it is the it is the shape that it is, but there is movement that happens and there's also change that happens throughout the year. So mm -hmm. while grounded and rooted and a particular shape like our personalities that, yes, we can move them, but also certain things just are the way that they are. We are. Yes. You know, like a, a maple tree is going to grow different from a fig tree. They just are different beings. They're different. Who are they? They're different. It doesn't matter and, how you prune them. It doesn't matter how you feed them. It doesn't matter how you water them. One's still going to be a fig tree and the other totally, one isn't. <laughs> totally. But that, that the, the way that growth happens is really consistent. It, it is different between things, but most plants, when you put it in the ground, they, t they root first before they can fruit. Yes. That's like a, a good rule if if they're doing well in the spot that they're in because a tree or a plant fruiting often if they're not doing well it's their sign of like I'm gonna die I'm gonna reproduce here are my seeds <laughs> and then people will be like oh my apple tree is fruiting and I'm like that is gonna be gone in like a year like that is not good but <laughs> it's anyway, your tree swan song baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally but if then it's producing fruit five years after it rooted then it's actually healthy and yeah so having those metaphors for identity of you know I I can ha have been planted in a certain place and have certain growth patterns but wind and turmoil grows my roots stronger and sometimes I need to be shaded out by somebody else to cool me down <laughs> and other times I need more sunshine and having that relationship to the natural world mm -hmm. is what has given me a sense of myself. I came out as trans when I had a job um, out in rural Wyoming during the summer of 2020 and everything I knew was stripped away from me. Everything I thought that I had an understanding of wasn't there anymore for many reasons, mm. COVID and not, but <clears throat> mostly it felt like I was living in a world that like the channel was changed and then I was just in a different world. And mm. I spent a tremendous amount of time by myself and I would just go for walks and look at grass and be like, so what we got in common? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so literally and, um, looking towards the natural world and plant life for your community, which is not a way that folks are often wired to think about building community, but there you were with no other option, but to give it a fucking try. Totally. Totally. And to take it outside of these ideas of what being a man or a woman is like, mm. I had to just, I, I couldn't even relate to that. So what I had to do instead was just be like, well, how do I relate to this rock? And how do I relate to that grass? And what's like the ethos behind that? And then what is the identity that's underneath that? And I feel like similarly to this idea of every plant being different, that, that there's in my non-binary identity, there are certain days that I wake up and I'm very sure of one thing and am like, I can definitely wear this outfit out tonight. And then I'll put it on and be like, Ooh, God, no, absolutely not happening. And then the next <laughs> week I'll be like, yeah, I don't want to wear that. And then I'll put it on and be like, I'm hot shit. And so it's very, it's really very varied. And I feel like that's the beauty of having a non-binary identity is that I can be fluctuating and not having to define it for anyone. And a lot of the using the natural world as kind of a framework for relationships helps me kind of override that very inherent or not inherent, very taught ideas of when you do x then it's because you're a woman or if you do y it's because you're a man and that just like fully unattaching from that and just leaving it behind feels like the, the way that I feel most gender full mm. um I was I was talking with a friend of mine from work the other day and I was like you know my gender feels like me laying in the grass staring at the sun and I'm not even a person. Yes. So if they, if they, them is what that means, then like, yeah, I'm here for it. But <laughs> I don't like all, all of the, the hyper fixation on language is important. And I am never want to be misgendered and never want to misgender anyone. And then there's other times where I'm like, I am Moss. That's it. It's the you only are Moss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love that so much. I mean, it helps expand everyone's understanding of what's possible if we decide to ask the right questions and be open to answers from unexpected places. And mm -hmm. the fact that you opened yourself up to the vulnerability of what the earth was willing to give you uh, when you were at a point in your life when you were just looking for connection and you had just come out and any all of us who have come out we know that it's a place and state of deep vulnerability and fear that we are going to be rejected from the other um even though it's a moment where we're becoming the most ourselves that we've ever ever been and then continue to become more ourselves every day there and after that um and so i i'm just so moved by your journey where you looked to the unexpected for, for grounding and for centering. And I really appreciate you sharing that story. Yeah, of course. Thanks for asking. So something that I think a lot about when I think about queerness is queer folks, at least the ones that I've had the pleasure of knowing, we all talk a lot about pleasure because uh, we also, as a queer community, 
have been told one way that we're supposed to experience pleasure either bodily or emotionally. Um, and, and to be frank, the cishet dynamics don't want to center pleasure and don't want to talk about eroticism um, because that's messy or gross or whatever the fuck, I'm not sure. Um, and so <laughs> somewhere that I find a lot of pleasure and I know that many people find experiences of pleasure is through the communal moment of breaking bread with folks, right? Of like, of eating, of how good it feels to bite into a fucking delicious apple and like what that feels like on your lips and your teeth and your tongue and your body and how it feels to be nourished by the sugar that that fruit provided you. And mm -hmm. so I've been thinking as I was preparing to talk to you about how food in and of itself, the pleasure that you've just shared with us of, of growing food and being in relationship with food and plants and the inherent pleasurableness of eating all feel very inherently queer. And so I'd love to hear what you're learning in your explore, exploration of your identity as a queer person and your work in seed distribution and like what feels old for you and what's feeling new. Yeah. Um, well, a really important pleasure centered, I don't know, experience, I guess, that I've had has been in, in the time that I was doing orchard work, mm -hmm. um, growing fruit on a tree is a whole different ball game from growing vegetables in the ground. It's, <laughs> it really is just a, a completely different ball game. And I, I will get back to that question more fully about like what feels new for me and whatnot. But, um, when we go into a grocery store and there's apples and oranges and mangoes and pineapples all year round, we have no concept of w when they're even in season, mm. what goes into that. And the difference between an apple tree and kale is that the it takes an entire year to make one apple. And yeah. kale, if you do it right, it keeps going for the growing season. Mm. And the so the the pleasure of having to care for an orchard for an entire year so then you can hold one piece of fruit in your hand it is it just redefines what like juiciness even means mm. and I and the amount of things where it's like you have to prune it right and water it and make sure you're spraying for this and make sure you're spraying for that and then thinning it and then pruning it again and that's all, all just for the tree so then the tree can even make something and so that's not you caring for the apple itself it's you caring for the being that then has the gift of giving us that fruit mm. and to me that idea of what pleasure is and like how how much of an ongoing and nuanced and dynamic act of love that that is. And it's with no expectation or even like you, even if you do everything right, it still might not give you an apple. That's right. And, and so the, the pleasure of the process, I feel like is the most important part of that, where if you're only focused on the fruit at the end of the growing season, <clears throat> you're going to miss out all of the beautiful things that are happening in the whole mm. time leading up to it. So that feels like a really pleasure centered way of 
relating to fruit specifically. Okay, so another big part of this. So with the seed distribution work that I've been doing with CGC, I feel like I've been talking a lot about fruit, which is not what I'm doing right now. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's always on my mind. But um, it is truly like this 30-sided Rubik's Cube that there is no right answer. Mm. We're getting a moving amount of donations in. We are getting new applications from seed hubs. And like for context, we distributed seeds to 260 seed hubs this year across every state in the U.S. And each seed hub distributes to between 30 to like 3,000 people. Oh, my God. If we're averaging that at 300, then 300 times 260 is a lot. I don't know. It's a big number. (laughs) It's a big number. And the seeds that we're giving them, I I was calculating it before. It's we give them between like 26 to 50 ounces of seeds and an ounce of eggplant seeds is like, you know, probably 300 eggplant plants. Wow. And then each eggplant plant produces hundreds of pounds of eggplants per plant. So one seed and each crop is different. And this is where it comes into the the pleasure aspect of it, that every single seed and every single plant needs its own thing. Mm. And how it relates to the world around it is different. If you have five, if you have 10 bean seeds and you have 10 lettuce seeds, the beans are going to be producing a lot, but they're harder to get all the way to the point that then you can have that bean be food. Like yes. beans are, just, you know, squirrels love them. Want them. <laughs> we'll do anything for them. And, and so it's like the, it, theoretically one bean produces hundreds of beans, but in actuality, it's harder to do. Whereas lettuce, you plant one lettuce seed, it becomes one lettuce. Yes. Head. Yes. And so it's like each plant is different. And then there's the complicating factor of distributing across the entire U.S. So what people can grow, obviously, in Utah is different from Minnesota. And the 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 amount of questions of, you know, should this hub get this many or this many? Or they asked for this crop, we don't have it. What's similar to that? And then it's not just like, okay, you can sub out arugula for kale. Because there's certain things that if they're growing in a small space, you can't grow squash in a small space. It's just big. It's just too fucking big. And it's not going to happen. But you can grow really great peppers and tomatoes in a small space. You know, Mm. it's like, and then so each hub, are they in Baltimore and they are only in small spaces in a city? Or are they in St. Louis where they have a lot more space, but it's still urban? You know, it's like each every single seed hub is different and then what they're asking for is also different and what we have is constantly changing and it's really mind-boggling and so there would be times that it's not even times a part of my organizing was people being like okay this person did this or we have this much left of this seed how many seed hubs do we have left and it's like 
I don't have an answer for that. Like the number of things where it was just, the answer was, let's just figure it out. Mm-hmm. Feels like the queerest thing ever. Yes. There's not <laughs> like one answer for anything. Every single situation, there was 15 things happening to take into account how to answer it. And then still, sometimes the answer was like, I don't know, give them some quinoa, hope for the best. <laughs> Well, no, I love just, this. I love this yeah. so much because in terms of how it ties to queer relationship and being in queer friendship, being in queer family, being in queer romantic relationship, I've thought so much and, and had so many conversations with people that I love about the overwhelmingness of what's possible when we acknowledge our queerness, right? There are no definitions. There are no constraints. We can be whatever we want and pleasure can mean whatever we want it to mean. And we're allowed mm-hmm. to have very unique things that make us us and what feels good and what feels um, like play. And that might change depending on who you're playing with. And that might change depending on what the temperature is in the room that you're playing in. <laughs> and it seems so related to the uniqueness and the complete unexpectedness of each seed and that each seed is this like unexpected infinite possibility of how are we going to relate to each other what are you going to produce and what do you need to feel good a thousand percent yeah and the the uniqueness of each one really feels so aligned with that like seeing each person and each relationship and each stage of a relationship as totally different and Mm. deserving of the utmost care and attention possible. And another part of it that feels really symbolic, but also not symbolic, like symbolic and in actuality really meaningful is how many stories and opportunities are held within each seed. Mm. And this is something that I really, you know, try and think about a lot in more identity ways than just being queer in my Jewish identity and my queer identity a lot, mostly, but that there's so many stories that we aren't told intentionally. Yes. yes. And, and that are strategically hidden from us that we don't know what liberation looks like, or we don't know that these funny feelings that we're having inside of us could then mean that we could be loved radically for the rest of our lives. You know, that it's like, we're we're hidden from that and so the idea that if you give people you know a hundred seeds of different plants then each it's not just about the plant it's like what conversations are they having as they're seeding it together Mm. and what conversations are they having when they're picking the fruit and that by giving an opportunity to create community in that way it feels like giving someone the option of here's a story. Can you read between the lines and find your identity in it? And can you find other people that make you feel like you want to grow a garden with them? Like that's the most pleasurable thing in the whole world is like looking at someone and being like, yeah, I want to do this with you. And I've always said that, you know, if I ever get married or whatever, that I don't really need a ring. But if someone's like, let's get land together and I'll (laughs) plant an orchard for you, then I'm like, that's some real fucking commitment right there <laughs> <laughs> you're like that's what my kind of romance looks like <laughs> oh a thousand percent a thousand percent and that it's because it's all held in such beautiful and unique 
little time capsules. Like that's what each seed is. And so the fact that so many things happen in the past to get it into your hands and that also what can then happen with it in the future, that is queerness, you know, yeah. of like the, the gifts that we're given and how are we given them? And then what can we do with them? And what, what kind of environment can we create together so that we can all be flourishing as mm -hmm. cheesy as that is, but it's true. I want to be like, fuck love languages. Give me land. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But then there's so much like, you know, I also don't want to have that kind of like rugged individualism of like, let's go and homestead together because that also is so capitalist and so colonized in a way of relating to land so it's like okay so if we're going to be planting this garden together who's coming to help and where are we giving the food to and how how can we be respecting those that came before and those that will come in the future yeah no absolutely and I mean you made such a, a salient and important point around the community building and relationship building that's possible with each seed, that each moment in that plant's life cycle is an opportunity to build new relationship with people, to have different conversations with people that haven't been had before and therefore explore new possibilities for expanding and deepening relationship. And that's actually mm -hmm. a very perfect segue to my last question for you, which is about human community. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I'd love to hear you share a little bit of, more about your community and who you call family and what it looked like to build an infrastructure of care, because as I've come into my own queer community, my own queer family, I've just learned how much uh, careful, loving intention it takes to, to build queer family. And I'd love to hear what role you play in that. There's a word in Hebrew called mishpacha, which means family. But the way that I've heard it used, it's a, in a more like queer family kind of way that, mm. <clears throat> you know, it's like you're mishpacha to me. And that sometimes I'd want words in different languages <laughs> instead of English. Cause I'm like this, I had a speech impediment when I was little, didn't come easy. My grandparents did speak English, but not initially. So like, let's find the other words. Um, yeah, and I I don't know who or what I would be without my community and my friends. Um, my grandma always tells this story that, that I must have been in elementary school at some point. And I was like listing off all these people. And she's like, well, who's your best friend? And I was like, and why would you make me choose that? They're all my oh, best friend. Grandma. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like such a Leo and I feel like anyone that knows me is like okay yeah like you have a lot of friends but but it's it's it feels like such a web and that like I don't know how my roots could go in without the roots around me and I've had really incredible friends that I've known since I was in kindergarten since I went to Jewish sleepaway camp with them when I was 12 since high school since the first week of college and it feels like once once I'm, once I'm loving someone, it's really hard to quit. And <laughs> which there's a lot there as well that I can unpack another time, but, but that everything changes throughout time and that the way 
the way that I was held and cared for by people that knew me when I was 15, it's a really beautiful thing to still know them now. And if they still cared for me in the way that I needed care when I was 15, we wouldn't be friends still. Mm. And so it's, it's not just about the, the time spent. It's also like how, how much space can we give each other to grow and to see each other as every new iteration of, of ourselves. And as a trans person that has been challenging I, I'm lucky that I have so I have a really, really solid community and a, so many people that love me so much and that I've been shown up for by my fellow trans coworkers, my queer friends in Philly, the people I met in college that are now queer and were queer at the time, of course, but then it took a while and then we're both like, hey, we were very gay, weren't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I feel like it's that it's that consistency and and thoughtfulness, but also spaciousness, and that you have to let people grow on their own. You can't smother them, and as much as I want to, sometimes, <laughs> um, and and that kind of relating to each other of like wanting to see each other flourish, but also wanting to see every year what that looks like differently um my best friend jesse the one i've known since i was 12 from jewish sleepaway camp he talks about wanting to know people in all of their seasons mm. and that feels like a really beautiful sentiment that i hold a lot of the time um and what also i know i'm answering this question but it does relate to the like what's queer about seeds and the distribution effort that we've done is that the ask of what we're doing is not super direct. It's like, yes, come and help us pack down seeds. And then sometimes, you know, it's, it's not this like, come volunteer at this Amazon work day and you're <laughs> going to know what you're going to do in this 30 minutes. And then that 30 minutes, it's like people coming in. We have no idea who's coming at any point. I'm like, cool. We have seven people. Cool. We have, have one person what's up who are you you know it's like <laughs> every every situation is different but that it feels really similar of calling on community care for each other that you know I love the question of like how can I show up for you and mm. I also love more when people are like I can either bring over dinner or <clears throat> we can go and do something else and then it's like cool I don't really know how to ask for help a lot of the times. And so being asked, what can I do? I'm like, I don't know. Do you want to just show up on my front door and then we can like work it out because <laughs> wish I could tell you what I need, but I don't know. And, and that feels like the most authentic way to show up both for myself and for other people. And it's like, you know, just because I, cope in certain ways doesn't mean that then the people that I love also cope in those ways mm -hmm. so when I'm like mm, you want to make a really detailed to-do list and then like strategically check everything off as a way of making you have a false sense of control <laughs> and they're like um no that sounds horrible and I'm like mm, I do that every day weird yeah let's do what you're talking about <laughs> And like, I'm I left just laughing because I relate so hard to so many of these quirks that you find within yourself. 
<laughs> oh, absolutely. And there's times that like being in community and then seeing how I handle something and I'm looking around and everyone's doing something different. And I'm like, Ooh, this is a DJ thing. This is not, <laughs> this is not a universal experience, but that also is the most beautiful thing about knowing someone and loving them and seeing them be their most queer authentic self is wanting to understand what love and care looks like and what support is and how that might change over time. And so I feel like the, the diligence, but adaptability is my role in in building community and Honestly, throwing a themed party. Sometimes people just need to... <laughs> Sometimes you just need to put on a costume and leave this fucked 2023 bullshit. I don't know. <laughs> it's too much. So it's like, oh, you want to dress up? For my 27th birthday, I did a dead celebrities Oh, come party. on. That's fucking amazing. It was so fun. And yeah, so I feel like it. it is this deep like and how can I show up for you and how can I do this and then there's other times where it's like you want to fucking party because we gotta dance you gotta get it off (laughs) and that you need both you can't just do one I mean I guess you can but it's more fun to do both that's such a beautiful way to close you've offered us you've offered me so many things that I needed to hear this hour and um thoughts on birth on evolution on curiosity on developing love in a way that's actually rooted in let me learn you and let me figure out how you need me to show up for you rather than what I think you might need (laughs) (laughs) and this this concept of you you were saying how sometimes uh love actually needs needs spaciousness right care actually needs spaciousness and that our in our instincts might be to smother someone with care or with love and that could look like giving a plant too much water or <laughs> give like covering the plant with too much shade, like literally blocking it from what it needs to thrive. And I think that that's so pertinent to so many of the relationships that we have. What happens if we take a step back and let something be exactly as it was born to be? Um, so I just, I'm so grateful for everything you offered and I'm so moved by the work that you do and the community organizing that you lead. So thank you. Thank you for everything that you do. And um, I just want to turn it back over to you for a final closing. If you want to share where folks can find you online, if there's social media you want them to follow or websites to check out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much for wanting me to be here when you asked. I was like, am I doing cool shit? Oh, I guess. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You definitely Um, are. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, also, I just want to say I co-organized with someone named Hayden. I do not do this all on my own. Shout out We've to done. Hayden. Shout out to Hayden. Hayden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so in terms of the seed distribution work, if anyone's interested in being a seed hub next year or they know an organization in their community that is already doing that, they could use more seeds or you just want to donate or learn more. There's a lot of growing resources and everything like that. Um so it's co- co-op gardens uh is the instagram handle and cooperative gardens commission is the official name of cgc and for me i do have a website my website is djneedleman.com my last name is spelled not like a needle but actually needle like n-e-e-d-e-l-m-a-n super annoying it's always spelled wrong 
whoever has the other email of my name but spelled the other way has like been venmoed for me they've gotten <laughs> confirmations for all these things and i'm like where is that confirmation anyway um so maybe you can type it in the thing that yeah. my actual name, i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna leave links to all of this in the show notes people are gonna cool. see and be able to click exactly where to find you they won't even awesome. have to spell it for themselves but guess what they should fucking learn how because your <laughs> name is spelled exactly how it's supposed to be spelled thank you i appreciate that yeah, and on my website, I have, I I am an artist, and if anyone wants to buy some art or have a commission or anything like that, I don't have like a really robust portfolio or anything. But if you're also just interested, I also have a lot of things on there not related to seeds slash fruit. But that's my website, and I also have an Instagram that's DJ Needs Art, and that's just a fun little place I put my art when I make it I love that well thank you again for your time I deeply deeply appreciate you sharing this space with me and sharing some of your insides with the world because you you have made so many possibles possible and uh, I just I'm so grateful to know you and to learn more about everything that you're doing yeah thank you so much for having me it was really awesome to talk to you What a delicious conversation on the labors of love, on the full cycles of birth, life, and death, on how spaciousness and shedding expectation and curious observation can offer us loving new ways to reap the joys that the universe sows. That a seed is not just a seed, but an invitation to listen to what care that seed needs to grow, to fruit, to seed again. A seed is an invitation to be in conversation with loved ones and community members. A seed holds infinite possibilities for connection. Thank you so much, DJ. Give that follow button a click on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and celebrate all the cool queers doing cool shit in your life by sharing this podcast with the people you love. Okay, all ye queers, take care, be well, and do something that makes you laugh today. (laughs) 